Welcome to Don't Box Me In, the show that features conversations with people from all walks of life, talking about their extraordinary experiences and inspirational messages. Now, here's your host, Lana Reed. Hello, hello, hello. I'm Lana Reed, and welcome back to this week's edition of Don't Box Me In. Today, we are discussing a topic that some of us like to sweep up under the rug or dismiss uh, the severity of an individual struggle, and that topic is mental illness. Now, according to the National Alliance on Mental Illness, in America, one in four adults experience mental illness in a given year. One in 17 live with a serious mental illness, such as schizophrenia, major depression, or bipolar disorder. And about 42 million people live with anxiety disorders, such as panic disorder, obsessive-compulsive disorder, post-traumatic stress disorder, or generalized anxiety disorder or phobias. My guest today understands these facts all too well. Jean Day has spent many years of her life becoming the victor over her own mental health issues and is here today to share her personal experience with us. I thank her for her courageousness and her willingness to come on the show and open up about her life, and it is with pleasure and much admiration that I welcome her to the show. Jean, welcome to Don't Box Me In. so much, Lana. I appreciate that introduction. Oh, no problem. Pleasure. I know it's it's a big step for you today. So I, I appreciate you making that step with me. So uh, mm-hmm. much, much. So you are talking to me from uh, Georgia, correct? Yes. Oh, yes. OK. A, sm- a small town in Georgia called Cartersville. Cartersville. Anywhere close to Atlanta? It's about 40 minutes north of Atlanta. Oh, OK. Is that where you've always been? No, I've moved around quite a bit. I lived in L.A. and I lived in Washington State, but I've been back here in Georgia for the past eight years. Okay. Okay. So, L.A., you've been out in my part of the neck of the woods there. Um, oh, so- yes. That okay. L.A. is my favorite. <laughs> I, I don't blame you. I don't blame you. It is it's such a wonderful, diverse place to be, and you can kind of get everything you want in one city. So, it's a beautiful place to be. So, is uh, so L.A., Seattle, Georgia, but were you born in either one of these states? No. Actually, I was born in Ohio and spent... Um, up until about age 11 in Pennsylvania, and then my mother uh, moved us to Georgia when I was 11, and when I graduated from high school, I decided to go to Los Angeles and attend college, and so that's when I moved out there. Oh, okay. What college did you go to in L.A.? Um, I went to Mount St. Mary's College, which just actually just became Mount St. Mary's University, um, and oh. all women. Yeah, an all-women's Catholic school for my undergraduate, and then I went to Pepperdine University for my master's degree. Okay, so you were across the street from me. I'm a UCLA Bruin, so we used to pass you guys. Oh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. We used to pass yes, you ladies on the way out to do damage, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm, I know Mount St. Mary very well, very, very well. You guys were tucked up there in the uh, cutoff of uh, Sunset Boulevard. I've seen you guys quite often. Good school. Yes, it's, it's a great school. I mean, if it wasn't for Mount St. Mary's, I, I don't think I'd be doing what I'm doing today. Cool, cool. So when you, inter- uh, when, you were, when you entered college, you always knew that psychology was something you wanted to get into, or did you go into college under another field? No, I, I kind of knew psychology was what I wanted to do. I didn't know much about psychology. I just knew that I wanted to help people. And psychology seemed the best route to go. Okay. Okay. So um, I guess tell us about your college life. What 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 do you remember about uh, the whole Mount St. Mary's? It, it, was it a girl? You said it was a girl's school at that time or no? Yes. Yes. Oh. It's, it's an all-women's college. And um, it actually changed my life, honestly, Lana. I was a horrible high school student. I hated to study. I didn't go to class. I missed a lot of classes. I just just wasn't interested in learning at all. And I got to Mount St. Mary's and actually started at their Doheny campus, which is about five minutes from USC. Mm-hmm. And they basically took me under their wing and just nurtured the leadership side of me. And I became the student body president and got a lot of um, uh, extra things, benefits from being the student body president, and 
but they nurtured me. Um, I often didn't have enough money to um, be able to go home, to go back to Georgia to see my family, specifically during Thanksgiving. And they, um, the nuns at the college, invited me to their home, basically, mm. and for Thanksgiving. And it's just they they just really nurtured me in a lot of ways and believed that I could go on to succeed. And so when I graduated from there, I said, you know, I want to get my master's degree because by then I knew I wanted to be a therapist. And the only way I could do that was by getting a master's. So Mm -hmm. I, you know, that's how I ended up going to Pepperdine. Okay. So you went to Pepperdine up the coast, right? Up uh, PCH, right? I actually went to one of their branch campuses in Culver City. Um, Their graduate it's called Graduate of Education in Psychology, I believe. Okay, okay. So I know that campus too as well. So, okay, you were really, really in my neck of the woods. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so how, how uh, what, what year did you finish with your master's? In 2000. Okay. I graduated in, yeah, in May of 2000. I got my master's in clinical psychology with an emphasis in marriage and family therapy. All right. Okay. My kind of girl. So right after graduation, you you immediately find you a, a building and, and set up shop and, and open up your practice. Is that how it works? Well, almost. What I decided <laughs> to do, um, I graduated, and by that time, I had been in L.A. for about eight years. So um, I had a good friend of mine that lived in Washington State, and I thought, well, I was kind of um, struggling financially in California, so I thought, you know, I need a change. And so I decided to go to Washington State. And when I got there, I found out that they didn't require you to be a licensed therapist like the state of California did in order to have a private practice. Mm. So I was – I. I took on a part-time job and then decided to open up a, a small private practice. Okay. Okay. So how long were you in Washington before you opened up your practice? I was there about a year, almost okay. a year and a half. Okay. So you started, uh, when you opened up your practice, you started helping out couples or what, what kind of clientele did you have? Um, I started out just, I would take anybody. I was just, because since I wasn't licensed, I couldn't be on any insurance panel. So I had to take you know, I had to charge fees, so they had to pay out of pocket. So I took anyone. I saw all kinds of variations of disorders. But then um, by the second year of my practice, I was offered a contract with a woman who worked with foster children and their families. Okay. And so that became the bulk of my practice was working with foster kids and their families and the Department of Children and Family Services. Okay. Okay. I know that route well, uh, too. So you were, your whole time that you were in practice, um, you spent it in the state of Washington? Yes. Okay. And, um, so you're two years, you start your practice. Now, I'm assuming, let's see here, you must be something like, what, 26 or 27 at this time? About, yeah, 25, 26, somewhere around there. Okay, so you start working with the uh, social services with the kids and stuff, and, and how long did that run go for? Um, I, well, I I developed my illness during that course, so I ended up only staying in practice there for a year. Okay, okay. So let's let's start to talk about that. So when you take on the responsibility of um, helping out the foster care, uh, had you started to uh, experience any symptoms or anything by that time? No, no, and actually, it's quite interesting how my symptoms developed. I started out, um, I wanted to learn how to be a psychic, and mm-hmm. I was interested in how to become a psychic and psychic phenomena, and I started getting books on it, and, and um, I was very good at meditation, and I started doing deep meditation where you just sit in silence and mm-hmm. that and, and that I did it very well I had no problem emptying my mind and clearing my mind of thoughts and then I started reading about how to contact what they call spirit guides and mm-hmm. that's how I 
I started doing that, and when I started doing that is around the time that I started to hear voices, and that's when the whole thing took a turn for the worse. Okay. Now, you mentioned um, hearing voices, and, you know, there are so many lay people out there, and, and a lot of people want to dismiss the whole mental health issue anyways. So explain to the audience, when you say you hear voices, what types of voices do you hear? What do you hear them saying to you? How did that, that go for you? Well, it started out, it was just a, a male's voice, and it would just tell me that I was going to die. Mm-hmm. And um, my first hospitalization, I just, I had been hearing voices all day just telling me that I was going to die and um, just different things. And I came home, and my mother, she, you know, she kept saying to me, Jean, you're acting really weird. You know, what's going on? And I, I didn't know what was happening to me. Mm-hmm. And so I, um, I, I, we got in, got in the bed because I was afraid to be alone. And, um, all of a sudden I started seeing these, what looked like ghost-like figures. And then I heard, get out of the house now, your mother's going to try to kill you. And so I got up and I started to make an exit for the door. Well, my mother grabbed me and she she said, "What? where are you going? And I said, I, I can't stay with you. You're going to try to kill me. And mm. she, um, she, she just had this, honestly, Lana, the most frightened look a person could mm-hmm. ever have. She didn't know what was happening, and um, she she just she said, "I'm just going to dial 911." Just mm-hmm. she kept she was holding my hand the whole time, but I kept thinking she was just trying to trick me that she was mm-hmm. going to try to kill me, and so she dialed 911, and the ambulance showed up, and they were walking me out to the ambulance, and I broke loose and I took off running. Hmm. And I started running, but I'm a Buddhist, and so I I didn't know what I was running from. I thought, why am I running? So I started chanting, and a voice told me, Jean, you need to go to the nearest payphone and call 911. So I went across the street and called 911. The ambulance that had been at my home then Mm -hmm. came across the street, and they grabbed me, and when they got a hold of me, I couldn't, I couldn't, you know, mm-hmm. get loose, and that was the first time that I was hospitalized. Okay, so I'm I'm sure this was all a frightening experience for your mother, but was this the first time she had seen you act so severely? Um, I, I'm pretty sure you mentioned that she had saw some little signs, but this was this was her very first large dose of it. Yes, yes, she because she had been telling me, you know, from her own experiences, my mother. She suffered with depression, but she um, she told me, Dean, you know, you need to stop reading about spirit guides and trying to um, contact spirits and do all of those things. She kept telling me it's very dangerous, mm-hmm. and you, and you it, it can have dangerous consequences. But I just refused to listen, and I ended up in trouble, and mm. so she. She, I mean, she didn't know, I, I know she didn't expect for me to to go off the deep end the way that I did, and um, because I was just, I mean, I was terrified of her. I was, mm-hmm. and that, that lasted years. It lasted years. Wow. Wow. Gina, I want you to hold that thought. We're going to pick up more about your first experience, but we're going to take a quick commercial break right now. Uh, okay. Hang in there with me. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Don't Box Me In. Here's your host, Lana Reed. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Don't Box Me In. Today I'm spending some time with Miss Jean Day. Uh, she's been in the mental health industry for many, many years and herself has been plagued by um, her own mental health issues, issues that she's been talking to us about today. Um, and before the break, 
uh, you were talking about your first episode that actually put you in the hospital and your interaction with your mother. And you mentioned something, you know, that your mother had been telling you, you know, Jean, don't, please don't, you know, dibble and dabble into these sorts, sorts of things, you know, because it's, it's liable. She felt that it was um, going to be the reason for you to, you know, possibly have an episode, which did happen. And it, it, it strikes in my mind something, you know, I remember my mother growing up, she used to always tell me, you know, uh, chemical dependency runs in both sides of your family. So, you know, don't even take that first drink or, you know, smoke a cigarette because, you know, it's it's in your genetic makeup. And I think a lot of times, you know, we as individuals, you know, don't know what we're walking around with that could trigger us to go, you know, down a certain path. So sometimes it's so very important to understand the health history of both sides of your family, um, you know, so we right. can kind of steer ourselves in different directions. But uh, back to, to and your also, Go ahead. Can I, can I add something to that? Go ahead. Go ahead, dear. Go ahead. I, I think also, you know, not being educated about, you know, a lot of people experiment with different religions and different rituals and things. Mm-hmm. And the thing was, I, I was an amateur and I didn't know what I was doing and I should have never been... Um, dabbling in those things and and it did end up having severe consequences for me got you and i mean then that was one of the what we're seeing now is your first episode where you know your mother's calling 911 and you're thinking she's going to kill you you break free and then you yourself go call 911 and um that leads you to being restrained and finally taken off to the hospital now tell us about that first initial hospital stay um what were the doctors saying that was wrong with you at that particular time? They just said I had a psychotic break at that point. I, most of that time, is, that is a little blurry because they basically medicated me with um, Zoloft and, um, and another, a, a, an antipsychotic, um, Zyprexa. And I, um, I slept most of the time, but I was getting phone calls from family members that were concerned, but I was hearing voices when I would go to answer the phone. So I eventually pulled the phone out of the wall and didn't take calls. And I was in the hospital. It was just, they didn't have a psychiatric hospital in Vancouver, Washington, where I lived. So I was basically in a regular hospital and they just kept me for three days. Hmm. So you didn't even see get proper treatment from a, a medical health individual. Um, no, no, I did not. So th- three days in the hospital, and they discharge you with what treatment options? They said I needed to go see a. Um, they had a nurse practitioner that had a private practice. They gave me a referral to her and put me on medications. I was. Still hearing voices nonstop. I still was terrified of to be alone with my mother. And um, basically, I mean, the medications kind of zonked me out. And when I would wake up, I was just, I was just terrified 24 hours a day. Mm-hmm. I, I was, I was scared to leave home. I was, I, I just, I, I wasn't afraid of other people. I was just afraid of my mother. And I was afraid that something outside of myself was going to attack me, like a demon or something like that. And so I was afraid to be alone. So my mother, she was a nurse, and so she took a few days off and stayed with me as long as she could. But eventually she had to go back to work. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I was just, I was just terrified the whole time. I would just be, I would just be at home scared to death. Wow. So up until your first episode, were you still working? Actually, I worked all the way. I had my first episode. I still had my private practice when I had my first episode and was hospitalized. So after you got out of the hospital, did you still work? Yes, I did. And I shouldn't have, but I was financially trying to hang on because I had bills to pay. And so I would go to work and... It's interesting, and this is what was kind of baffling for the doctors, is because clients would come in, and once they started talking to me about their issues, I stopped hearing voices. Mm. 
um, when they started talking about, you know, their life circumstances, and I, I would be fine during that period of time. Mm-hmm. But the minute, the minute that the session was over and in between sessions, I would hear voices again. Hmm. Now, let me ask you this because, you know, that is your field and you're starting to go through these episodes yourself and, and you're having these, these issues where you think your mother's going to, you know, do some harm to you. We, we have a tendency, because we're in this field, to self-diagnose. What did you feel was going on with you? I thought that I had been possessed by a, some type of demon. That's the truth. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So did you, on your own, think, okay, Jean, let me do this to fix myself? Or did you have any sort of, this is how I'm going to get rid of this, options in your mind? Well, honestly, Lana, I tried everything. I, I mean, when I went to the doctors, unlike a lot of, a lot of psych patients that I've now seen, I've seen before, um, I was begging for help. I, I kept telling them, I, I'm hearing voices all day. I'm, I'm scared all day. I, I'm, I'm terrified of my mom. And they kept trying all these different medications, but nothing took the voices away. Nothing helped with the anxiety. I was just I was just a nervous wreck twenty four hours a day. And I eventually um um I it, I was trying to work at the time and so I would intermittently take days off, like on really bad days I would take days off. And um but ironically I ended up having to close my practice because not because of my illness, but because I lost the contract with the woman that I had set up to um, see the foster kids and their families, mm-hmm. she decided she wanted to cut back, and so she, um, I, I lost that contract, and that was the bulk of my practice, so I decided to close up shop and go stay with my father, because by this time, it had been... Oh gosh, it had been like a year. My mom had been struggling, taking me to every doctor and mm. nothing was helping. And so she was worn out and burned out. And so, you know, my father said, let her come stay with me. And so I, I basically closed up my practice and went and stayed with my father in Ohio. Okay. Um, did things improve in Ohio, in Ohio? Did you get the proper medical help? Well, actually, yes, that was the turning point in my life. Um, I uh, I got to Ohio and got set up with a private psychiatrist, and he immediately put me on a medication called Clozaril. Okay. Now, Clozaril is Clozaril is an old antipsychotic, and they don't usually prescribe it, and they usually only prescribe it as a last resort kind of medication because. It requires weekly blood work, and it has a lot of side effects. Mm-hmm. And um, but within days, I could actually hear my own thoughts. I could actually, I the voices went away. Mm-hmm. And I was, I knew within a matter. It was probably about three days after being on the medication. I I told my dad. I said. The voices are gone, but I was still having symptoms that the doctors couldn't explain. Like I would feel like things were touching me. Mm-hmm. They some they sometimes call those tactile hallucinations, but I felt like things were crawling on me, and I would see colors around the room and different things like that. And the doctor, he just said it was all part of schizophrenia. Mm-hmm. He said you have you have schizophrenia. This is all part of it. Um, but he couldn't explain why the, why it only seemed to happen when I was alone and not when I was with my family. He couldn't explain why I saw colors. He couldn't explain, you know, different things that I was experiencing. And so, um, but the closet took the voices away, which took away that deep seated fear of, you know, my mother or, Someone, because I, when I moved in with my father, I started thinking he was going to try to kill me. Mm-hmm. So, um, so the closet rule took those thoughts away. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, how did 
you, you mentioned your, your mother and her struggles. How, how did your dad uh, handle his daughter going through this stage of life? He, he just, you know, he kept telling me, you know, he kept trying to encourage me to pray. You know, he mm-hmm. wanted me to pray. He wanted me to pray to God. He said, please pray to God, Gene, and ask for his help. And I refused because I'm a, I was a Buddhist. And I said, mm-hmm. no, I'm not going to do that. And I kept telling him, I, and he said, you know, I don't know. You know, he said, I'll pay for you to, to go to the doctor. He was willing to do anything. But the part that no one could understand was um, the... They just, they couldn't figure out what happened. Like, I went from being this fully functioning individual to being this person who couldn't be alone. Mm hmm, mm hmm. Well, I mean, coming from the, that, that field, we both know that schizophrenic symptoms do manifest themselves later on in life. So if it was, that was part of your diagnosis, you know, it, it just kind of rages up suddenly later on in life. Um, and, but like you said, the doctors were still kind of hesitant to, to diagnose you as schizophrenic, although you did have schizophrenic like symptoms, but maybe possibly why, you know, that could be possibly why it just kind of popped up out of nowhere. Um, you know, combined with some things that you were probably doing that exacerbated the situation and brought it out itself, you know, so. Yeah, and the, and the- the doctor that prescribed the Clozeril, he didn't have any doubt. He he was sure it was schizophrenia, paranoid schizophrenia, he called it, and he said that that explained all the symptoms, and he didn't have any questions, but I had questions. I gotcha. was like, okay, if this medication took the voices away, why am I still having all of these other weird sensations? And he couldn't explain that part of it. Gotcha. Okay, understood. Alrighty. Gene, we're gonna, it's time for another, uh, commercial here, uh, but when we come back, we're gonna talk some more about your road to recovery. Just stay with me, we'll be right back. Let's return to Don't Box Me In with your host, Lana Reed. Hello, hello, and welcome back. Today we are discussing uh, mental health issues with Miss Jean Day, who has been in the industry, medical, mental health industry for many years, and has struggled herself with her own issues. Now, before the break, uh, Jean was telling us that she had moved in with her father and finally got uh, a doctor who gave her some medication that took the voices away, although she was still suffering with some other symptoms. Um, I'm curious, we've talked about your mom, the involvement of your mother and father while you were going through this. Uh, I'm pretty sure before all of this started to transpire, you probably had a very, you know, active social life. I'm not sure if you were dating anybody. Did anybody else around you know you were struggling with these things? No, I, I, I tried hanging out with a couple of different friends and, um, it just, I, I was so uncomfortable and I think they knew something was wrong with me but they didn't know what mm-hmm. and I didn't I didn't tell them what I was going through I was too ashamed okay understandable um and, you, and also coming across my mind you mentioned quite a few, a few times that you're a Buddhist and then you were explaining to us the interaction with your father and he kept on asking you to pray I'm just curious um your upbringing your mother and father um or were they religious in their the upbringing of you or, or is somebody else a Buddhist or uh, no, actually, neither one of them um, were particularly religious. Um, my, I was raised around Jehovah's Witnesses, which is what my grandparents were, um, my maternal grandparents. And um, so that was the primary religion I was raised around. But neither one of my parents had, had taken on, you know, had ever really taken us to church or did anything okay. religious with us. I found okay. Buddhism on my own when I lived in Los Angeles. Okay, 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 that's a good spot for it. (laughs) So, (laughs) so, uh, back to Ohio and you get, uh, the doctor who gives you, uh, Quasaril and that starts to make some changes for you, but you said you're still suffering with some other, um, issues, you know, if you're feeling like, uh, tactile hallucinations, you feel like things are touching you and, um, did, did they ever find, did this doctor ever find any kind of uh, therapy, medical therapy that took that away from you? No. 
So um, are, we, are we assuming that you're still suffering with that today? I do. Yes, okay. I do. Okay. Okay. It's not. It's not as. It's not as severe, and it's not as um, frightening to me. But occasionally, I do have those experiences. Yes. Okay. Now, a lot of times when we hear about people with uh, schizophrenic symptoms, uh, you also hear there's a refusal from the patient to take their medication, um, even though it does take away some of the symptoms. Um, can you share with us maybe why it is that somebody wouldn't want to take a pill that would take away these these things, these voices that they're hearing and stuff? I mean, there's side effects that they have that maybe you can share with us that come along with the medication. Well, I I actually did that very thing. I took the Clozaril for about a year and a half, but it made me gain about 45. I was a really tiny person. I only weighed 98 pounds, and I'm four foot eleven. <laughs> and um, I got on the Clozaril, and within a month, I had put on 48 pounds. Mm. And um, so, after a year and a half of not hearing voices, I thought, well, I'd like to get off the Clozaril and get my weight back and, you know, my physical appearance and, um, which was, it, it was just a huge mistake because as soon as I stopped trying to take it, I immediately was, you know, I immediately started experiencing even worse symptoms. Mm. Like what? When you say worse, like what? I, um... I had a couple of incidents where um, my body just started making these like jerking movements where I felt like it felt like the only way to describe it is if for, I guess, a religious person that feels like some type of entity is, is trying to attack their body physically. I, my body started jerking. I would start... Um, my muscles would tighten up and I wouldn't be able to move my legs or my hands or anything. Mm -hmm. And it was frightening because it, that, that didn't happen before the Clozaril. And after I stopped taking the Clozaril, I started having these symptoms and I'd get very nauseous and be very, felt like I was going to pass out or faint or something like that. And so, um, I had really bad symptoms, but I, I kept going to the doctors. The voices came back. The, they tried to put me back on the Clozaril. Unfortunately, when I don't know what happened between going off of it and trying to go back on it, but when I went back on it, it didn't work. Mm. So I was stuck again with hearing voices and, you know, and by this time, I had, um, I stayed with my father for roughly about, um, I, I, I stayed between Ohio and Georgia with my sister, and I did that for about six months, and then when I got better on the Clozaril, I had moved back to Washington State, so when I came off of the Clozaril, I was back in Washington State with my mother again. Mm. Wow. So mom, well, mom, mom is her second round of this. Exactly. So here we go again, you know, here we go again. And she just. So, so are there still no, um, not to cut you, are there still no therapy options for you in Washington when you come off the Quasarill? Now, how do you find somebody to put you on a, a medical treatment that's going to work for you this time? Do you have to go back to Ohio or how does that work? Well, no, I, I ended up, I went to a private psychiatrist. I paid out of pocket, which was very, for me, it was over $100 a visit. Mm -hmm. But honestly, Lana, the quality, the quality of psychiatric help these days is very poor. I mean, he would see me for about less than 10 minutes and I would I would basically be begging him I would tell him please you know I'm hearing voices again I'm scared I feel like my mom is going to kill me and you know he he would say well we're going to leave you at your medication is there anything else I can do for you today just wow like, like I hadn't said a word like I hadn't been begging for his help and I mean, and a lot of the psychiatrists that I went to did the same thing. I mean, they spent all of five minutes with me, and that was it, and sent me on my merry way back home. Wow. 
So when did you finally run into somebody who said, okay, Jean, we're going to help you? Well, in the process, we, um, my mother and I, I, I stopped working after the private practice. We decided to move to Georgia so that my mother could help care for her elderly uh, father. And I was still hearing voices at the time, and um, I had another episode, and and this one was really bad. I thought my whole family was trying to kill me, and I tried to attack my mother, Mm. and um, I ended up in the hospital, and they they kept trying to put IVs in me, and I would yank them out, and I I wouldn't let anybody be in the room with me, and so they sent me to Peachford Hospital, and um, that was the first psychiatric hospital I had ever had ever been to, and um, I was there a month, and I had a ECT, which is electric convulsive therapy. I um, got on medication. And um, they got my my symptoms stabilized again. Okay, so you said this is the very first time in all of this uh, incident that you went to a psychiatric hospital. So I'm just trying to figure out the time frame here. When you had your first episode to the time you went to the psychiatric hospital, how many years was that? That had been, oh my gosh, it was about 2000 and. It was about 2007 when I was hospitalized for the first time, and um, in in Peachford, and it was about maybe 2003 when I was hospitalized with that first episode. So roughly about four years, I had been struggling. Four years to get some proper treatment. That's a long right. time to have to deal with all of that and you know and it's not just you dealing with it like you've been explained to us it's your whole family and those around you that kind of get you know wrapped up in all of that um and and we're all you know for Jean, we're all screaming like come on give us some help just give us some help she's trying to tell you my mom was getting frustrated with me because she kept saying Jean, the voices keep telling you that i'm going to kill you have i killed you Mm -hmm. have you died she kept she kept trying to use logic. She said they kept they keep telling you you're gonna die. Have you died yet? No, you mm-hmm. haven't died. Don't listen to them. Mm-hmm. But honestly, when it's your when you think it's your own thoughts, you you can't. I couldn't I couldn't logically accept that answer. I I couldn't think logically because mm-hmm. the voices were so strong. Yeah. And. I I describe it, Lana, I describe it to people now as it's, it's like being in your own horror movie. Mm-hmm. You know, the horror movies with the Jasons or the Freddy Kruegers chasing yes. you. It, 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 it's like that, and you can't get out of it no matter what you do. Mm-mm-mm. Like, okay, I know somewhere inside of me, okay, I know this makes sense, but there's a bigger part inside of me that's saying, no, ignore that, and, and this is what I'm telling you, and what I'm telling you is to be fact, and, you know, like you said, it's that battle, that conflict, you know, yeah, mom is saying I haven't killed you yet, but somebody else is in there saying, don't listen to her, listen to me, and, you know, what right. I'm saying is, is valid and true, and, you know, you know, unless you're going through it, I mean, you know, you really, you really can't understand it. You know what I'm saying? All you can do is sympathize. And like I said, it's more people than just Gene going through it. You know, it's your, your parents, your, you know, your siblings, your family and your friends around you. So everyone, everyone was so afraid for me. I mean, mm-hmm. they didn't know if I was going to kill myself, if I was going to hurt somebody else. I mean, they just, they didn't know what was going to happen next. Mm-mm-mm. Amazing, amazing. So we get your first um, help in 2000, your first real qualified therapist and possibly medical treatment help in 2007. Um, do they put you on a medical, uh, a different regimen? Because you said before we're now off of the Quasarilla. Yes, they, they put me on a combination of medications, and I, I can't remember quite which ones because I'm on the same ones now, but um, I know that uh, Seroquel was one of them and another medication, and I can't remember which one it was, but they put me on about two or three different medications. I got ECT therapy, which is electric convulsive therapy for the depression part, 
and because I was severely depressed, of course, because I was always hearing voices. And um, a month later, I walked out of there a totally different person. Awesome, awesome, good stuff. So we're going to take our last commercial break of the day, and we're going to talk about uh, what you've got on the plate and the rest of your recovery right after this. Welcome back to Don't Box Me In. Here's your host, Lana Reed. Welcome back. Welcome back. Today I have been spending some time with Miss Jean Day, who was working as a mental health therapist in her own private practice when she began to experience schizophrenic-like symptoms. And we've been talking about that journey. And uh, we're up to the point in 2007 where she finally gets some good quality help um, in Georgia. So in 2007, you walk out the hospital after a month's stay, and life uh, goes in a different direction for you. You've now got a um, a variety of medication that they've put you on, and I'm assuming that you've got a therapist that you you started to see regularly. Yes, and um, but that wasn't I. I have to say this. I know we don't have much time, but that was not the last time that I had to be hospitalized. Altogether, um, how many times have you been hospitalized? About four, four or five times. Okay, okay. Um, my last, my last hospitalization was about um, three years ago. My mother actually died unexpectedly, um, and of cardiac arrest. And we were living together at the time. And um, I was stable on medications at the time, but I was still deathly afraid to be alone. So. The death of my mother um, was a it was a major trigger for my illness. Understandably so. Understandably so. So you are you living on your own now? Yes, I do. I've been living on my own now for um, four years, and um, I found a psychiatrist in Calhoun, Georgia, and she did an amazing job. She said, I want to try this new medication on you because I, what would happen is I, I would stay on the meds for a certain time and then they would stop working. Mm-hmm. And, um, she, she said, I have this medication. It's new. I'm going to give you some samples and let's just try this. But she, she gave me hope because she, she said to me, she said, Jean, even if this doesn't help, I'm not going to give up until I find out what's wrong with you. Awesome. I'm not. I'm not going to give up helping you. And to hear those words come from a doctor, it was just like I felt like I could trust her, and I felt like she was going to find out what was wrong with me. And um, she put me on a medication called Latuda, and mm-hmm. um, within probably two weeks, I was. Just, you know, I, I was not hearing voices anymore. I was doing well, and I've been I've been stable now for the last three years. Awesome, awesome. Love to hear that. So let's me quick. Let me quickly recap. So the voices are gone now. Where you're at with your therapy, but the only thing that you still struggle with from time to time is the the tactile hallucinations is that the only thing that still gives you an issue i i i would be lying if i didn't say that i i don't i do occasionally will hear a voice but i no longer hear a voice that says that something's going to try to harm me i do sometimes hear a voice that'll say um you need to wake up or it'll it'll just say random things but it's not as frightening to me because I've been living on my own for so long that now I just, I accept it as part of my healing. Um, and I don't fear it anymore. I don't think it doesn't have the same power over me anymore. Um, so yeah, it's just, I, but I still have experiences when I'm alone Particularly at night, I'll have experiences where, where I'm alone, where I feel like um, something is, is touching my skin or, you know, um, I'll, my body will get really hot and my, my breathing will get really shallow and, you know, I'll just, you know, and 
and sometimes I've heard voices for a few minutes and then it'll, I take my medicine. I've learned that's the one thing. It's like, I, now if I even sense that it's going to be a rough night, I immediately take my medication and try to go to bed. Okay. Okay. Now, if I may ask, how often per day do you take your medication? Once in, in the evening. Once in the evening. Okay. Yeah. Now, um, life is a lot better for you now than it was years ago. Um, you've made a lot of changes, a lot of leaps and bounds. What What are you um, – you're going back to school now, right? Yes, I'm currently um, in enrolled in an online program getting my Ph.D. in psychology. Okay. What do you What do you plan to do with it after you get it? Um, well, I I've been getting booked for a lot of radio talk shows, so I hope to book even more and eventually go into TV. And um, I'm writing a book, and I'm also um, I teach at a college. And right now, since I only have a master's degree, I can only teach at the community college level. So with a doctorate, I'll be able to teach at the university level. Okay, okay. Awesome, awesome. Life has come full circle there. Yes, yes. Okay. <laughs> so are you there in Georgia with other family or you're by yourself? Um, I still have family. A lot of them have moved away, but it's, I still have nieces and um, a couple of uncles that live here. Okay, so there's no um, concern that, you know, maybe once a week we should go knock on Jean's door and check on her. I mean, everybody's pretty comfortable that where Jean is at now, she yeah, she can handle. They asked me, you know, my uncle, I have one uncle that I do my grocery shopping with every weekend. We do our grocery shopping together, and, and he'll ask me every now and then. He'll just say, you know, I just want to make sure that you're, are you okay? Like, are you mm-hmm. really okay? Mm-hmm. Because that's the that's the thing. It's like that's what the doctors failed to do as far as I was concerned. They never asked me, are you really okay? Like, what? what is it? What's your life like? And, mm-hmm. and um, you know, but my uncle will ask occasionally, but he, he knows that I'm back on track and that I don't experience the symptoms very rarely. And it's just, I mean, it's like, I, I mean, I credit my Buddhist practice because in those times when I lived alone, when I first started living alone, I was terrified because I just knew that something was going to kill me in my sleep. And um, the only thing that I could do during that time was chant. And so I chanted my heart out. And usually what would happen is I would go to sleep and, you know, nothing would happen. And so, you know, I... Um, I, I credit that for giving me the strength to be able to move forward because I was terrified to live alone, but I was kind of forced into it because of the death of my mother. Okay. Okay. And, and you know, you handled it. Sometimes circumstances show us, you know, what, what we're made of. So, you know, exactly. I, you, you've gotten back on track. Now, you mentioned quickly there that you've got a book uh, that you're working on. Uh, what's what's yes. going to be the title? Of, what's going to be the title of the book? It's called Things I've Learned Along the Way, and it's basically a story about my personal journey because the more I started to talk to people, the more I realized, you know, people that had had strange experiences that no one could explain. Mm -hmm. And and, and yes, I identify with schizophrenia, but there were a lot of symptoms that they could not explain. Mm -hmm. And um, I've met so many wonderful people that have mental illness or just have had some strange experiences that, that frighten them, and we could actually have a dialogue about it. And so the book is going to be my journey through um, this ex- whole experience mixed in with my Buddhist practice and and also useful information for seeking, because I believe in the field of psychology and psychiatry there is a benefit to that and I do believe in medication mm-hmm. you know? and I I'm, I'm finding out that a lot of people don't know where to go they don't know what resources are available or where to even go to look for them 
So I'm going to also talk about that in my book. Okay. And and when do we, I know it's kind of pending, but around a rough around date when we should expect yeah, to see it? Yeah, right now it's the, the deadline is December 2015. I'm, I may have to bump that up a couple of months, but that's the goal we're shooting for. <laughs> cool stuff, cool stuff. Now, real quick before we get out of here, because there's a lot of us, you know, that are lay people. A lot of us just don't understand. A lot of us think, oh, you know, just... You know, go get you a, a scoop of ice cream and it'll be better. If you could give a, a loved one, a family member, just a small piece of advice when they have to uh, help or reach out to somebody suffering with mental illness, what what tip would you give them? First of all, I would tell them to find a good psychiatrist. And by that, I mean interview them. Mm-hmm. You interview them and find out about them and their experiences with with clients and what experiences they've had. I would also recommend that the biggest thing that my family could do for me was make me feel safe. Okay. You know, because during those times when I was hearing voices, I was so scared all the time that when someone would come up to hug me, I remember so many people telling me this. They said when they would come up to hug me, my, I was, I was shivering. I was shaking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, um, but when I was with my family, for the most part, I felt safe because they would reassure me, Jean, I'm not going to hurt you. I love you. I'm here for you. And that's, sometimes that's the most, that's the most that the family members can do. Good stuff. Good tips. So interview um, your medical help and make the person going through that, um, make them feel safe give them some support. Good tips. Uh, we are at the end of our hour. I've had a wonderful time with you today. My guest has been Miss Jean Day. Please stay on the lookout for her upcoming book. Jean, I appreciate you so much for making time for me, and I, I had a really great so time. Thank you. Thank you. That is all for this week's show. I'll be back next week at the same time. Until then, remember when it comes to your dreams, the words can't and won't should never slow you down. There is always space to change and to grow. Don't be boxed in. Live your very best life. I am your host, Lana Reed, and I'll see you all next week.